I think this is one of the most dangerous things Trump has done. And if you want to draw analogies to Nazi Germany and Hitler, and that's where I think we are. Welcome to Inside Without Now, a podcast created by volunteers with RefuseFascism.org. I'm Sam Goldman, one of those volunteers. Today's episode is being released on June 3rd, but features a conversation with writer Lucian Truscott, the fourth, which was recorded on May 6th. Before we get into it, I'm going to read a new call to action that was posted on RefuseFascism.org. Trump unleashed U.S. military police against peaceful protest and threatened to call out the military nationwide. Protest, Saturday, June 6th. Lafayette Square, Washington, D.C., and everywhere. No more police murder of black people. No fascist police state. No fascist military war on the people. Trump Pence out now. An uprising has begun. Day after day, night after night, coast to coast, the streets fill with black youth, refusing to face another day in fear. And people of all backgrounds who have had enough of white supremacy and a culture of soul-crushing cruelty. Comparisons to 1968 fill some with dread and some with hope. But one thing is clear. Millions have been shaken awake. Trump has thrown down a heavy gauntlet to the people who have been heroically protesting in the face of heightened repression. Under the orders of Attorney General Bill Barr, federal forces hurled unrestrained brutality on peaceful protesters at Lafayette Park on June 1st driving them out so that Trump could rant like a police state dictator and pose with a Bible for his Christian fascist followers. He invoked the Second Amendment to call out his armed vigilante militias, threatened to send the U.S. military into the streets to restore a fascist, quote, law and order, end quote, and bragged about dispatching, quote, thousands and thousands of heavily armed soldiers, end quote, into D.C. Yet the people have not cowered. In the face of all the tear gas and rubber bullets, the curfews and threats of more firepower, the rulers have proven that they are not all powerful. For the first time under this regime, the people have seized the initiative and have not let go. In contrast to the hate and bigotry of the Trump-Pence regime, these protests are infused with a love for humanity, and those in power seem more out of touch and illegitimate by the day. The splits at the top, even among conservatives, have sharpened up. A determined struggle that doesn't yield and won't be provoked has created a serious political crisis. This is how regimes around the world have been forced out of power. If not now, when? We cannot allow the Trump-Pence regime to drop the hammer and impose military rule. 
This will lead to a further consolidation of fascist power and a nightmare for humanity and the planet. Every move this regime makes to kill this uprising must be met with an even greater mass outpouring in which the resolve of the protesters against police murder is strengthened with a growing defiant chorus resounding across the country. Fuck Trump. Nor can we wait until November when talk of election cancellation or Trump's refusal to leave office is a common point of conversation. Now, when people are in the streets beginning to feel their own strength, we need to add to the struggle this demand. Trump Pence out now. This fascist regime poses a catastrophic danger to the world, and the whole world will take heart if we rise to another level of determined resistance. We have begun. But should we fail to see it through, this and every struggle for justice will be set back. If we succeed, and we can succeed, we can begin to force the boots of violent oppressors off the necks of our brothers and sisters. Let us change the course of history, not for ourselves alone, but for all of humanity. This nightmare must end. The Trump-Pence regime must go. In the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. With that, let's hear the interview with Lucian Trescott IV, which was recorded via Facebook Live a few weeks ago during what was a very different moment as anti-science fascists were mobilizing to demand states reopen. Welcome, Lucian. How are you doing? Good. It's so good to have you with us. I've been reading you on Salon for some time. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. An article um, that stuck with me that you wrote for Salon in Trump's death march to November, you wrote regarding Trump and the coronavirus that, quote, the number of those killed won't go down, but Trump doesn't give a shit. He's not the president of the United States. He's the president of the Confederate States of MAGA. I just thought that was extremely heavy. A lot of others have called him a failure or incompetent dismissing the callousness towards humanity. Can you speak to this and why it's important to pay attention to the program that he's advancing? I think that one of the worst things he's done since he's taken office is uh, to treat the part of the country that didn't vote for him like, like they don't exist. If you're not, if you didn't vote for him and if you're not out there wearing a MAGA hat and so forth, you're a non-person. This is the way that that dictators divide countries and and use the division of the country to to take power by marginalizing the minorities, by marginalizing immigrants, by marginalizing old people. And I just don't remember a time in this country when any president that we've ever had, and in that group I would include Nixon and Reagan and, of course, Eisenhower, acted as if only the part of the country that voted for him would, would be the part that they listened to and was really part of America. And the rest of the country that didn't vote for him didn't really belong. I think this is one of the most dangerous things Trump has done. And if you want to 
draw analogies to Nazi Germany and Hitler. And that's where I think we are. Yeah, I think that it's Trump didn't create the divisions that exist in this society, but he has definitely used them to advance his program and strengthened and expanded those divisions, wielded them. One of the the points that you made reminded me of something that I had I had heard in a in a talk that we we promote on refusefascism.org. It's from a, a talk called the Trump Pence regime must go in the name of humanity refuse to accept a fascist America, a better world is possible. And in it, the person who's speaking in the video, Baba Vegan says, there's a direct line from the Confederacy to the fascists of today and a direct connection between their white supremacy, their open disgust and hatred for LGBT people, as well as women, their willful rejection of science and the scientific method their raw American first jingoism and the trumpeting of the superiority of Western civilization and their bellicose wielding of military power, including their expressed willingness and blatant threats to use nuclear weapons to destroy countries. And I think that we see that connection so starkly now in, you know, the people that wear the MAGA hats, you know, the MAGA hats being like the modern Confederate flag. It does feel very much like he is, he is inciting a civil war. That was, you know, part of when I was reading some of your recent writing that 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 connection was made clear. One thing that has been, I think, somewhat difficult for for some people to confront has been this fascist character. People want to call it something else. They want to call it that Trump's incompetent or that he's a failure or that he's stupid. Kind of deny the qualitative change in how society is being governed, um, the form of rule that he wants to cement in place. You know, these fascist mobs, the threats of violence, not realizing that if they consolidate power, it will essentially eliminate the democratic rights that people hold so dear. In um, your Salon article, this isn't an election, it's a civil war, and our side isn't necessarily winning. You wrote, Trump has cut the heart out of America. He's turning our democracy into a dictatorship and he's not finished. I was wondering if you could expand on this. How are you seeing um, this, seeing the leaps he has already taken in transforming rule and what danger is posed? The fact that he's cut the heart out of the country is right there in the things that he's done. In the middle of this coronavirus thing, it's useful to go back and look at the whole thing that they did when they were ripping the children of migrants out of their mother's arms and putting the children in one holding facility or cage or whatever you want to call it, and the parents in another. And these things are, and the idea of assaulting the voting rights of people in this country and making it much, much more difficult to vote. He's assaulting women's right to choose and trying to close down women's clinics all over the country. There, He's encouraging these states that want to make abortion outright illegal and punishable by jail. All of these things are part of who we are as Americans, and Trump has has been trying to end it. That's what I meant by that he's taking the heart out of America and, you know, he's not finished. I've watched almost of these so-called 
task force briefings. I just read this afternoon a reference to that study that New York Times did, where they actually analyzed the text of the briefings and found that only five minutes of all those hours of briefings, you know, many, many, many hours, only five minutes was devoted to lamenting the deaths that have occurred and sympathizing with the, the families. It really makes you wonder if if Trump isn't somehow glad that the coronavirus is killing off the parts of America that he doesn't like and he doesn't respect. It's well known that the states that have suffered the worst, like New York, where I live, are blue states. And I think that he may be delighted about this. I mean, blue states is full of voters that didn't vote for him. And I think I said at the end of this article if um, that um, if you're not one of his voters and you die, screw it. You know, he doesn't really care. That's all of these things are, you know, it took me a while to begin to see the inherently fascistic aspect to all of this stuff, but I see it technicolor now. All of these things that he's doing are fascistic. Was there something in particular that made that clear to you? I can't point to a specific moment, but I think before the coronavirus hit, he started to have a lot of rallies, at least one a week. And when I saw that they had continued the whole locker up thing, you know, they used to say that about Hillary Clinton and then saying it about uh, Nancy Pelosi. When I saw that coming back, I realized all of a sudden that this wasn't just some kind of clever verbiage and rhetoric. It's not a a campaign gimmick. This is what dictators do. They take people that are their opponents and they actually lock them up. This is this is what we're seeing. That's what we saw in China, where they locked up that doctor who first raised the alarm about the coronavirus. We see we're seeing that right now in Russia. They've either locked up or killed outright, thrown out windows. These doctors that have also raised the alarm about coronavirus in Russia. But the whole idea of yelling locker up and and having a mass of people yell that is, you know, they're actually advocating. You know, I finally saw, I think, they were advocating sending someone to jail without a trial and without a guilty verdict. That's fascism. I think that that whole locker up thing finally just sort of crashed like a wave on me or something and and got to me and and I started to see how evil it is. I mean, really the, the locker up chant has become the sort of Heil Hitler of Trump rallies. It's something that happens again and again it's mandatory at every rally. Some Trump person or some factotum will start the chant. Then they start it, and then Trump steps back from the mic, and he kind of raises his hands, and he glories in it. I mean, I've seen black and white footage of Nazi rallies, and that's what Hitler did when they started screaming, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler. He did the same exact thing. He just let the chants wash over him and gloried in it all. This kind of thing hasn't happened in America before. This is something new. Yeah, I, I really appreciate um, what you were saying about, you know, really paying attention 
to the attacks on the rule of law, you know, and just the norms and separation of powers and the things that we see as just part of normal liberal bourgeois democracy. I mean, you see that in the trumpeting of the calls to lock her up, the way that even uh, Whitmere and other Democratic governors have been attacked, the threats to, to basically hang them, calling sections of the press enemies of the people. You know, anybody who poses obstacles to the fascist program and to this regime in any institution of the government, whether it's the intelligence agencies, the military, or, or even scientists, they purge them. That's extremely dangerous. And so I, I wanted to read a section of, of our statement and get your thinking on it. Although one of our viewers wants to know if you have any thoughts about the passion of Trump's base, how that doesn't seem to match the passion or lack of passion of the opposition. Um, I'm not sure that's true. So I hear a lot of this. And all I hear is passion from them about, about how badly we need to get rid of Trump. I think the passion that you see, what is for passion or what's identified for passion in the so-called Trump base is, when you see these images of these guys in their combat gear and carrying their rifles and all that shit, mm -hmm. somehow that gets read as passion, sort of like, look how much they mean this, that they're going to march on the state capitol with their guns and everything. All right, it doesn't look like passion to me. It looks like a bunch of chicken shit little boys playing soldier and uh, read as passion. I think the passion that you're seeing there really is this the identification with Trump and and the hatred of the other. And mm -hmm. I think that one of the amazing things that's come out of this whole Trump thing is what you were just talking about a minute ago, where Trump has identified the media as enemies of the people. And, you know, and basically what it's boiled down to with him is if you didn't vote for him, you're an enemy. And I, I, I'm old enough to have actually covered Watergate as a journalist. I wrote for the Village Voice in those days. And I can remember when it came out during the Watergate investigation that Nixon had kept a so-called enemies list. And this was a list of liberal pundits and col columnists and Democrats and business people that were on the Democratic side and so forth that they wanted to target with IRS audits. And, and of course, they targeted a lot of people with um, surveillance under COINTELPRO and so forth. And everybody looked at that and thought, oh, my God, an enemies list, the idea that he would think of people who simply didn't vote for Nixon and thought that Nixon's policies were wrong. They thought that the war in Vietnam was wrong, that somehow that made you an enemy was just unbelievable and horrific. And now the idea of enemies of the people and all that sort of thing just trips off the lips of these people on TV now like it doesn't mean anything. It's been it so normalized. Yeah. It means, it means that this guy, number one, is a fascist. 
You know, it's fascists that turn people that are different than them into enemies and people that are not on their side or didn't vote for them is somehow not just a person that's on the other side in a political uh, contest or in an argument over, over policy or something, but an actual enemy. Refused fascism has a statement of conscience and a call to act that I encourage everyone to, to read, to discuss, to debate, to sign, to share, to spread, and to donate so that we can get it out broadly. You can access it at refusefascism.org. And there's a short section that I wanted to read that's in line with what we've been talking about. Thousands fill stadiums, well, not right now, but the point still stands, and cheer as Trump spews heinous, bigoted rhetoric. His acolytes threaten civil war and carry out acts of terror. Trump's acquittal in a sham impeachment trial has set a legal precedent for him to do whatever he wants, even steal an election, as he barrels ahead with alarming vengeance. The regime bludgeons the very notion of objective truth, trafficking not merely in lies, but in flagrant campaigns of disinformation. This, this point about flagrant campaigns of disinformation is something that you've written recently about the massive disinformation apparatus, I think is how you referred to it. I wrote down one line from it that I thought was like so spot on and we need to keep getting at is that you wrote, quote, the news just keeps treating Trump like he is normal and coming back for more. And I was wondering if you can give us some examples of how you see this at play, including in the quote, reopen movement. Why is this war on the truth key to advancing his, his program? Well, I think you could see it in the early days of the coronavirus briefings. The press sat there in that briefing room and listened to the crap coming out of his mouth and then asked him specific questions that really, that really dealt with what he had just said and so forth. And finally, in the last several weeks of the briefings, you've seen reporters basically get up and call him on stuff and, and read back quotes to him that he said himself over and over again and ask him, why did you say that? That's a lie. So when I was when I wrote this, it was a while ago, I was referring to the to the fact that the press was really just sort of taking the stuff that Trump was doing and saying and reporting it and treating it almost like it was normal. Now I think that we've moved a little bit beyond that. The, the thing about Trump's lies is he tells so many of them that you can't keep up with them. And that's part of the strategy. And, and I think that this is something that Trump learned back in the 70s and 80s and 90s when he was in New York and, and was really playing to the tabloids and the tabloid audience for his you know, self-promotion and so forth, was that uh, I lived in New York in the 70s and 80s, and I remember that he'd be in page six in the New York Post or in one gossip column or another day after day after day. And it didn't really matter to Trump how he got in the gossip columns. Uh, if he got in on Monday, he wanted to be in on Tuesday. He wanted to be in on Wednesday. He just kept coming back and coming back. If he went to an art opening on Monday, then he went to a movie opening on Wednesday. 
he would go to anything in order to make these gossip columns. And it and I think that he saw at that point at that point that the media is just this enormous gaping maw that just needs to be fed all the time. And Trump saw, but certainly in 2016, when he saw that he could get up and lie and lie and lie and lie and lie again and never really get called on it. Remember, it took it took the New York Times and the other papers a long time to call Trump out uh, and call him a liar. That didn't happen until sometime in mid-2016. And already they were buried in lies. And Trump saw that he could just lie and lie and lie and keep lying and get away with it. Because he was, they, they actually call it um, in the Trump uh, campaign, uh, Bannon and some of those guys call it flooding the zone. When they get bad news coming up against them, start flooding the zone with what they think is good news or with attacks on people. Now we're going to see, I'm, I'm afraid, and I, I read today, that Trump realizes that he's, he's losing to the virus. The virus is, is not something you can vote against. You can't hold rallies against the virus. The virus just is. It's going to do what it's going to do. And it's killing more and more and more people. When Trump saw these numbers a couple, few days ago that came from studies and, pro, and projections that were done within the CDC, for crying out loud, that we're rapidly going to hit 3,000 deaths a day and we're, we're rapidly going to be at 100,000 deaths total. And I think probably by sometime in the fall, 200,000. He can't make that go away. So now what he's going to do is attack the accuracy of the totals. He's already coming out and saying that he doesn't think they're counting people that are dying in a proper way. And that's why we have these numbers that we have. When really every single expert there is on pandemics and everything else has said, that they're undercounting the, the deaths enormously. He'll just come out and start lying and saying, that isn't right. It's less than that. You know, uh, they're lying about it because they want to beat me or something else. And, and unless people call him out on it and call him out on it again and again and again, he'll get away with it. You know, he's going to do, he's going to do what he's going to do is to catch him doing it and to point out, what he's doing when he does it. I mean, that's what I spend, you know, basically my life doing right now is writing about these things that he's doing and trying to give people basically what I, what I do, I think, is I try to give people a different way of looking at it. Just like I just said that I changed the way that I looked at this locker up chant you know, I thought that it was just some sort of a device, some sort of clever bullshit that they were pulling. And then I realized it's not. You know, this is like Nazi Germany. You know, when you advocate jailing someone without a trial, and without a guilty verdict, it's fascism. And it's time to call it what it is. And, and I think that the job of the press is 
to look at these things that he does. Like if he margin, if he leaves the task force in place, but then marginalizes it, then it's the job of the media and it's the job of the Democrats, especially, to point that out that that's what he's doing. You know, we're we're in an election campaign. I mean, it may not seem like it because Trump doesn't have his rallies and Biden can't get out and and campaign and that sort of thing. I mean, this is the the strangest election campaign we've ever had. But that doesn't mean that the Democrats can't yell their heads off every time they see him changing the rules, moving the goalposts, all that. If I hear moving the goalposts again, I'm going to croak. Stop doing this stuff like saying, oh, well, he's moved the goalpost. You know, it's not moving the goalpost. It, what it is, is he's realizing he he was lying before, and now he's telling a new lie. And that's not moving the goalposts. That's changing the lie that he's telling. That as soon as he has another one of these press conferences or something, they've got to get up there and and and, and hit him again and again on his projections like, oh, we're hardly going to have any any cases and all that stuff and say, you know, what do you think now that there's 80,000 people dead? And keep asking it. I mean, it would imagine what it would be like if, you know, one reporter asks the question and he doesn't answer and he changes the question and then he yells at the press, especially if it's a woman, and insults them. And if the next reporter and the next reporter kept asking the same question, I think we would be in a different situation. One thing that you said um, struck me because you were talking about no more, you know, moving the goalposts in the context of changing the number of how many dead we're supposed to accept or normalize or tolerate what level of genocide we're going to be okay with. Again, why we're talking about it being genocide is that Lucian's talking about in terms of non-Trump voters. And I would also say those who this regime has declared as less than human, which is a very significant grouping of people. If you are, if you are black or brown or elderly or poor or sick or homeless, these are all people that the Trump-Pence regime has declared as less than human. And that group is even broader if you look at what they've pushed forward already in the three plus years that they've been in power so far in terms of the attacks on women and LGBTQ people and Muslims, and you could go on. And there's a section in our statement of conscience and our call to act that I keep referring to because I think it provides really important analysis and a, and a roadmap to how we could get out of this. And it says, no longer will we stand aside while this regime shreds the rule of law. No more moving the goalpost of what we will tolerate or retreating into our private lives as the regime fills concentration camps at the border, cages immigrant children, bans Muslims, and threatens whole countries with fire and fury. We will not allow LGBTQ people to be slammed back to the, into the closet and women to lose the right to birth control and abortion. This past winter, before we knew all that the coronavirus was going to be, you wrote we are sliding into a fascist dictatorship. The time to act is now. And we're, we're closing up on our time. And I just wanted to leave people with that, that the time to act is now. And I think we've gotten into tonight around what this direction and momentum of fascism is, what we mean by that. With the court stacked in Trump-Pence's favor, 
with the fascist base ready to go to war for him, with repeated expression of a refusal to leave office, being vindicated already for election interference, voter suppression, and now a pandemic that could be used to further suppress voters or be a pretext for suspending the election, and an overall disregard for norms or rules, it's clear that the elections alone will not resolve this. We are getting organized. We are a movement that is saying that we can't rely on the normal channels when the Trump-Pence regime is shredding those norms and changing those rules. We need mass sustained nonviolent protests and we need it at the soonest possible time. And we want everybody to know that they are a part of that. I wanna thank everybody for participating, especially Lucian. Thank you so much for joining this conversation. I learned a lot and I really appreciated um, the dialogue and I can't wait to read um, more of your work soon. Thanks for listening to Inside Without Now. Remember, there's a role for everyone to play at this crucial moment. Now is the time to stay in the streets. Bring the demand Trump-Pence out now into demonstrations happening this week and especially on Saturday, nationwide. Be part of saying no more police murder of black people, no fascist police state, no fascist military war on the people. Trump-Pence out now. If you need materials like stickers, banners, flyers, and posters, visit refusefascism.org. Print and download what you need, or get in touch about ordering larger amounts. Whether or not you can be in the streets, support the demand Trump pens out now by donating at refusefascism.org to get materials sent across the country to be out in the streets this Saturday, especially in Washington, D.C., you can also Venmo at Refuse-Fascism. Make sure you follow us on social media at Refuse-Fascism. And last but not least, everyone should sign and share the statement of conscience and call to act on RefuseFascism.org. We'll be back soon with an interview with historian of fascism, Ruth Ben-Ghiat. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Trump Pence, out now.